Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of, one of, the, one of the great lead singers of, of my time in this music, Patrick Flynn of the band Fiddlehead and, of course, of Have Heart. And he is here to talk about... Punk. This is a really fun conversation. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on social media at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it. But you can also uh, subscribe to it and rate it on your platform that you're listening to. This thing on, uh, you can also head over to patreon.com slash turned out a punk and check out some of the stuff we do over there. Uh, and speaking of support, this thing would not be possible with the kind, loving support of my friends at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, we like what you do. Just, just don't do it out of your own pocket anymore. And they have helped me cover the cost and that has been very much appreciated. So thank you very much to them for that. And, uh, yeah, thank you all you. Thank you, all of you that listen to this thing and support this thing. Because I really, uh, you know, it's a lot of late nights right now because of homeschooling and stuff. But I really do appreciate all the positive feedback people give and and tell me how this thing is uh, something they enjoy listening to. And that's really, you know, that's what I'm looking to do. Put out something you enjoy listening to. And if you're looking for something you will enjoy looking at, head over to Flood Magazine dot com and check out punk as fuck punk af the videos i did a couple years ago and uh you'll see some cool stuff of me going around los angeles with a bunch of cool people hanging out learning about uh punk from them and uh yeah just you know just having a having a good old time talking about punk uh and fucked up is giving you a good old time right now if you've got 90 minutes to spare 90 plus minutes to spare with you're the dot uh, <laughs> Going back to the beginning with that one, Year of the Horse, and you, you can check it out uh, on Bandcamp and the Fucked Up Bandcamp, and uh, I believe that is it for that. On to today's show. Today on the show, my bud Pat Flynn. Now Pat is someone who I met years ago. You'll hear all about that in a second, um, and I've been a, a bit fan of him in Fiddlehead and Have Heart for a long, long time. But I think that he's also just this person who, I don't know, just just lives it in a very real way, and he's he's such a such a great person, such a great front person in a band, and someone who, yeah, like it's taken a long time for this to happen, but someone who I've wanted to talk to on this thing for a very long time, and also recently they did those reunion shows, and that's got to be. Uh, some of the largest DIY hardcore shows ever in America that have been put on ticketed DIY hardcore shows. I know there's like the, the DC stuff, obviously with Fugazi outdoors, but those shows, you got to look at some of that footage, like incredible footage. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is taking a long time to happen, but believe me, it is worth the wait. This is a really fun conversation with someone who, as I say, like loves, loves hardcore. We go to a lot of cool, interesting, different places. So do yourself a favor and check out all of, Pat's bands because he is, as I say, done done a lot of stuff in this genre that we call punk rock and hardcore. Uh, most recently, though, you can check out Fiddleheads' "Get My Mind Right" on Run for Cover Records. 
And other than that, sit back, relax, and enjoy Patrick Flynn on Turned Out a Punk. Pat, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, as I was just telling you off air, this has taken forever to happen, but you're one of the people I've wanted to have on the show since the very beginning because uh, I've, I've seen you perform live, and I think you're one of the sort of like greatest front people. Oh, of, stop. I seriously, <laughs> I've watched you. There was that one night we played a show together in Germany. It was us versus and yourselves. Yeah. And, and I watched you hold that room in the palm of your hand in a way that I still, I've, I swear, and I've never... I, like you know i've told other people this obviously but i've never told you this but it was like it was something quite profound to watch happen i i i well uh, first off i i i i really appreciate that as i could i could uh, i could send it right back your way uh genuinely but i remember that show uh it was um bielefeld germany was it i you know what it's funny that you you say the name of the town because that sounds exactly right all i remember about that venue is that it was significant because poison idea had played there oh, no on one, of their, one of their last european tours and there was just seemed like there was just a plethora every every room i went into the people from the venue would give me some sort of pig champion lore involving huh. that room like you had to sleep on the pool table there or <laughs> something involving the bathroom like it was just it was like so the venue was very significant to me but i had no idea what town it was in until you said it just now i think it was bielefeld I, that sounds right yeah and, and, and I, I i gotta say i remember that show uh pretty vividly because it was uh i think it was like one of our first european tours and i was like I was on like really down and out. I just like wasn't enjoying the touring experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the the I think our, our record was our first LP was only like a year old or something like that. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. This is kind of miserable. And I remember after our set, you came up to me. It was the show was still happening, and the the Germans were the Germans were raving. Uh, and in the chaos of it, you said that was awesome <laughs> and it was it was very clear it felt very genuine and i was like all right damien D damien's on board maybe i'll give this thing another try okay. oh my gosh well <laughs> no I, i'm glad i did tell you then because yeah it was it was it's definitely a performance that stayed with me to this day and and uh i think it was your it was your guy's last show of the tour i think you guys were flying yeah. home right afterwards sweet pete was on the road with you and uh yeah, it was it was just one of those one of those nights where I, I was just like, wow, that was that was on another level. So anyway, this will be mm -hmm. on another level tonight. Um, and I got to start this off, though, the way they all start off, which is, Pat, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I I do. Uh, I think so. I was born in 85 and I had an older brother. Fairly. I, I, I don't want to say it's a totally typical story, but I had an older brother uh, born in 1980 mm -hmm. and uh, I was an army brat and moved around and uh, like my father retired in 92 and like just for moving around a bunch, but, you know, you know, for the first seven years of my life, going from one neighborhood to another, my brother more so, I think we were, because we were kind of a, of a, of a jilted mindset of being the new kid, the constant new kids. So I think like, um, uh, 
disenchanted tones really spoke to us because it's kind of how we how we felt um but uh yeah i you couldn't avoid it It, when what year does smells like teen spirit come out 91 91 yeah Yeah. 91 i guess it really kind of hits 92 but yeah yeah so i mean it was just completely pervasive it was everywhere like my father was talking about it and he was like this retired Lieutenant Colonel. And like, if my father was talking about Nirvana, then it was, it was a sign of of a big time. But that, I think that that was like my first understanding of like, Hey, this, this doesn't sound like the Beatles. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I think that would be probably like the, the first time I kind of came into contact with the, the sound of punk um, but I don't think I really fully understood it because uh, I was like, what, seven, eight at the time. And I, yeah. I know that I just sort of liked it. But my brother, my brother, like, dove in deep. I don't know how in, living in the town that we lived in, but like he must have been in like the seventh or eighth grade. But like by the end of eighth grade, he's he's already like looking into like swans and sonic youth and just like kind of going deep into like the um i guess the origins of like what is getting nirvana going Mm -hmm. uh and i kind of look back at it now in terms of the context and i I really have to scratch my head in terms of understanding how my brother kind of discovered that i I think he must have bought there there used to be like cool rock books uh like they were unofficial very much so but like he must have bought one and then just came across like or just seen pictures of Kurt wearing like a swan shirt or a Sonic U shirt and just he went deep into it but like you know smells like teen spirit barely made sense to me and like you know hearing uh I don't know what was it like what is it a uh, Death Valley 69 is yeah. That a Sonic? yeah I remember <laughs> so, hearing that and being like I don't get this at all <laughs> and and then like Weezer came out and I fell in love with that but like uh, I was very much so curious why my brother was just listening to what sounded like people dying <laughs> all the time. Uh, but, and, and, and it just sort of spoke to me, but um, I think, uh, I think like the biggest uh, kind of turning point moment in terms of really discovering it as something that was mine. I, it, 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 there is like a kind of cool story like moment in in this is that like i it was hard to avoid the the rise of new metal in the in middle school um and because that was loud and rambunctious i was drawn to it but um i i think that the big turning point was that i I went to uh, a small catholic school and we used the same bus as the as the uh the local public school and uh, the public school kids would get dropped off before us and then they would pick us up. And so I would get on this bus and then one day I did. And then the last row, there was a, a CCS uh, skateboarding magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was pretty gen code out at that point. Uh, and uh, I, and I was uh, going on a, a deep dive into nine inch nails, which I, you know, I, I look back now and I say, this is, you know, I don't think I really thought of it as punk. I, 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 I just, it didn't feel like it was punk to me. It was just sort of like loud metal music. Uh, but it first felt like punk when I founded the CCS, um, CCS, CCS, 
TSS. I'm trying to remember. What, yeah, like the, the like the skateboard <laughs> distribution catalog company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it it was huge for me because yeah, yeah. I, whatever it was, it, it was just no one at the Catholic school was skateboarding, and it was on the back seat. I found it and I opened it up, and there was just someone wearing a minor threat shirt, and I. I I just went to the local record store and checked it out, and I liked the the plain kind of subdued clothing. I didn't really feel like I had to, you know, put on a uniform or or buy expensive baggy jeans. And uh, I, I I you know bought the discography, and to this day I can remember where I was sitting when I when I first listened to uh, the first chord of of filler. Um, and at that point, that's when it felt like, okay, this is, this is really my tribe. Um, but I, you know, I, I have to wonder where I'd be if I, if I didn't have that, that magazine on that big bus seat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's just at that point, you're just grasping at any of these, like information was such a, such a valuable thing. And anytime yeah. you could pick up any of these, these threads, even if it's like a catalog, you know, like how many sessions catalogs just got demolished just looking at pictures of t-shirts you know because mm-hmm. it was just you couldn't you couldn't hear it you couldn't you couldn't experience other than through these things yeah i, I remember i remember leaning on like prior to that all that was really available was like it wasn't like i would go to blockbuster and it was like circus magazine mm-hmm. um and there's like fangoria would have some like metal stuff there but there was really no popular magazine you know like speaking to like more subcultural sounds at the time but it, it's funny that like i mean ccs wasn't even really pertaining to the hardcore punk but like that's all i had yeah <laughs> so yeah. there's a there's a really good historical argument to make that you know i only kind of got into this by happenstance i i, I don't really know if i would have found oh, like you know overt punk punk scene at that point because I, I probably would have kept going i was getting deeper and deeper into the likes of uh like cam fdm and mm-hmm. you know some of the music that is the soundtrack for you know good it's good i look back on it it kind of still holds up cam fdm but i don't i'm, I'm kind of glad that i i went the way that i did yeah a lot more costume involved to be kind of an industrial goth back then <laughs> right right for sure <laughs> like, uh, nine inch nails though is a band that i'm like you know just through doing this like show i've kind of got a lot more respect for in terms of like seeing how it does weirdly connect to punk like not no so you know not even so much through trent Reznor because i think he was more kind of from a new wave sort of mm-hmm. background but like you know some of the other guys and the guys that would wind up doing filter and the way they connect yeah. to outface and integrity like there is sort of that direct connection to it and at that time where if you're Wait, looking did, for did, 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 you say, did richard patrick have like a clevo connection yeah like their studio was based in cleveland and i guess like trent Reznor was there for a while and uh-huh. twit talks about it on his episode they used to go and and pick up weed from the two <laughs> from filter <laughs> and shit. then i think some of the guys from outface uh which is you know the pre i guess sepultura band now um uh-huh. they were they they also wind up doing filter i think one of the members maybe two of the yeah. dudes yeah. Yeah. At, at a certain point so yeah there's like this like weird through clevo uh, like nine inch nails you know hardcore connection so there there it is okay now i know (laughs) i that's my whole life is just finding a way to like scratch that like surface layer away 
and like on antiques roadshow reveal that sort of punk yeah, you know, right, watermark right. down there or something i'm slightly more popularly known but isn't isn't the singer filter related to t1000 i didn't know that see you're blowing my mind with that what really yeah the actor what's his, his, the, the, they're brothers wow yeah so there's now like a, a an arnold schwarzenegger six <laughs> degrees situation from dwid get 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 dwid on the horn man. you gotta, <laughs> to find, yeah, you gotta see if he's if he's hung out with arnold at this point yeah that would be amazing uh did you see all the photos of, of tony from municipal waste hanging out with john travolta i did not wow that's uh that's an achievement yeah, I've I've texted him about it. He's never given me the whole story, but I just I kind of want to leave it as a mystery. But he was <laughs> chilling with John Travolta on his yacht. Damn, <laughs> I know. Good for him. I know it's very weird. Anyway, back to back to the journey. So, where were you kind of like? Where were you guys getting music from? Like, I guess you by ninety two, you said your your father had retired, so I guess you had settled down a little bit. Was there like a record store that your brother was getting sort of? you know, swans and, and early Sonic Youth stuff from? Yeah, it would have been. Um, so we had a, a strawberries. I think it was kind of I think it was regional to New England. Uh, it was it was a bit of a chain. Um, you'd get tickets for concerts and stuff mm -hmm. like that there as well. But they didn't have a use section. So where most people from I'm coming out of the uh, new Bedford hardcore punk scene, um, I lived in, I grew up in this small town after my father retired in a small town called a Cushnet, which is small enough to just say, I'm, I'm from the new Bedford area. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it would, uh, that was where the shows I was going to, but, uh, before I was even going to shows, um, if you wanted to kind of, kind of the seedier stuff, you, you could make the trip up to Boston to go to Newberry comics. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I think at that point, Newberry Comics isn't there's one on Newberry Street and then there's one in Harvard Square and that's kind of it. And they kind of start branching out a little bit more in the to the 90s and the early 2000s but that was where you could get the good stuff. Um but that was, you know, Boston was for, you know, a, a young person like myself it was, you know, it was a it's a bit of a hike and um the big dig wasn't finished yet. Very boring local traffic city planning I'm, info but i'm obsessed uh, with that big dig like i was there when it was i guess in the midst of it in in uh 99 but my gosh oh, yeah. like watching that and then seeing how that changed the city it's like that's how you got to do civic investment because it pays off eventually yeah sort of i mean it, the traffic is just getting shittier and shittier <laughs> every year uh somehow it feels like it got worse in the pandemic i don't know how that's possible yeah um anyway um we, there was this uh the folks in the new bedford region will will we'll know what i'm talking about when i, when I re refer to words and music um uh it was you know a local record store um <laughs> and it was it was really it was like the place where all of the the people aging out of the local hardcore scene would go and just like dump off their cds uh and there was a a, a giant used section this is in uh, Fairhaven, Massachusetts. And uh, that would be where my, my, my brother was probably going to get, you know, just like steedier stuff that something like strawberries or, uh, or, I don't know, Virgin records might not take. Um, and, and I, I, I recall years, years later, I remember going there and uh, 
like you would just they were it was, it was so cool there was just so many people around that town and because it was like you know the like it wasn't like a hardcore record shop it was definitely like a local music shop but because it was like the place where the local hardcore punk hits would go you know i would have an occurrence where like i you know like i'm a young looking kid and then some like older guy over my shoulder would like lean over and point to the like ignite record that i'm about to buy and go hey that record sucks buy this <laughs> you know, like i just i feel like something it's something that was just like would never happen in, in the contemporary day. but it was a it was a cool place but i'm almost certain that that's where my brother was going to get the uh the good stuff i guess you could say new bedford had like a completely separate scene and well not a separate scene obviously but like had its like own independent kind of large scene in the 90s right like new bedford fest and like i remember it being kind of like one of the spots on the map Oh, uh, totally. So I, I don't really start, I don't go to my first local real hardcore show until the summer of 1999. I don't, and that's, it's, it's only then that I discover like hardcore shows and, and mm-hmm. like, like the real hardcore scene. I'm, I'm really finding minor threatened and looking at them as like a punk band, yeah. which is kind of an interesting, I don't know how, like how, uh, like how rare that is, but I feel like most people, when they find my threat, they just kind of look at them as a classic stone cold hardcore band and um, or hardcore punk band. I just was like, Oh, this is, this is coming from the punk world. Um, but that summer 99, I, I went to warp tour 99 uh, and very, very quickly felt pretty. I just, I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is really overwhelming and big. And, and, and I, I remember like seven dust played and, and I think it was like controversial that they played that year. Um, because was, like they were metal, I guess, was that the, yeah, so, so it was. So like, I don't know if you, I mean, you, you're familiar with like the, the fat scene and, and epitaph and whatnot. Oh and, my uh, gosh. Like, yeah. I feel like I've gone to college just to know that stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> so like, like, this is 99 it was like warp tour was like full on like an epitaph fat records festival uh, at, at this point it felt like but like at, coinciding with that was was Ozfest, and i remember like they were competing with each other and it was definitely like when seven does played and i didn't know the cultural politics of warp tour at the time but like i understood like i you would just like I talk with like random people and they're like, Oh yeah, fuck that band. Like, it's like, what's it's like, I don't really like them, but what's wrong with them? Like, Oh, they're fucking metal losers. And I'm like, Oh, all right. Okay. But, and I remember they played and everyone was like flipping them off. And like, as much as I was like, yeah, I'm on the punk side of things. I also kind of simultaneously was like, this is stupid. Like this yeah. is, this is, <laughs> this is silly. They're just a band playing and they're so, and, and then it like waters were like, $15 and you know I really wanted to see Pennywise but I had to see them from like 500 miles away um, and there was like a giant barrier so I was like pretty quickly turned off and then like just a month later um, uh, there was uh, you know a local show at Reflections which was like the the place to go to um, at the time and, and, it, and this is very much so I, I would say kind of in like the beginning of the end of the um heyday of the new bedford hardcore scene so like you were saying in the in the 90s it was 
it was a place to go. The New Bedford Fest was like, I think Strife played it and uh, Chokehold had to stop by, Earth Crisis played. And, you know, it was like, oh, if you're going to be touring New England, you're going to, you'll play Boston, but you'll also play New Bedford, which is like, if you were to look at someone's tour routing now, they have a stop in Boston and New Bedford. It, it would, it would be crazy. It'd be nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you spend more than a day in Massachusetts? But, um, so it was, it, it was massive. And I had only kind of just from going to the local skate park had heard of like the, the great vibrancy mm-hmm. of the New Bedford scene. Um, so I, uh, like I, I went, I went to the show, but it was in a local small uh, AA center that would allow young people to have shows later that night. Um, and uh, I, my, my, my whole life totally changed at, at this show. I just like everything I wanted to get out of warp tour um, completely happened that night uh, at, at that show. Uh, and I can still remember the lighting of like what it was like when certain bands played and like certain people who walked in the room and what they were wearing. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's very bizarre that I have these vivid memories of, of, of this show. Um, but yeah, it was a, a massive turning point in my life for sure. You at 99 though, that is the best of all the warp tours that you went to. Oh, is it like, I don't know who played Boston, but that's the year that it was like, Black Eyed Peas pre Fergie. Oh yeah. Uh, um, it was Kid M- Rock played. Oh, Eminem was on the Toronto dates too. I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Eminem. I. You're right. Eminem and I think Kid Rock played too. He probably did because he. I know he had done earlier ones, and that was kind of before he really like Woodstock '99, right? That's when he really blows up. Yeah. yeah. So and then there was I'm trying. Oh, Scarhead was on that year. Depending. Oh, no Leatherface and Avail were both on that year, depending on the dates. They weren't on in the Toronto date, but huh. and there was also a very, yeah, like a really weird vibe. Like I remember people trying to vibe out Blink One Eighty Two. Like it was mm-hmm. very much like, you know, you're if if you're on a major label or if you're going for it, you're not part of our thing. Even though let's be honest, like all the bands are going for it, but right. I remember that having like a a very yeah interesting vibe that year but oh classic lineup ice t ice t played yeah yeah Su- suicidal played i remember um oh, i don't think we, oh yeah we did a suicidal in toronto sorry yes we did yeah too. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah that was that was the year that blink 182 was because i was leaving eighth grade going into high school that year and i remember that was the year that um enema of the state came out and mm-hmm. i remember like because i i you know, I was, you know, delving in the epitaph and fat scene and, and that that late 90s or mid to late 90s era of like skate punk, pop punk. And I, I remember feeling really uh, kind of betrayed by by Blink-182 because mm-hmm. because the, the the classmate that would make fun of me two years prior for listening to Blink-182 was now praising Blink-182. <laughs> I just felt just yeah. completely betrayed. It was a real real stab in the back for me but i remember going to warp tour and and it was just this like pretty like people were going crazy for them it, it yeah. was it was unbelievable um but it, it 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 did it did almost kill the whole thing for me <laughs> because i just felt uh i felt like i just didn't i didn't have that like tribal experience that i was looking for uh that i that i ended up having a, like a month later in, in new bedford yeah, it's just so the op- like it's so funny when you do find hardcore 
and it's like you know in a community center or it's in like a legion hall and it's bands are playing on the floor and the lights are on like it's just yeah i know exactly what you're saying like you know going to the warp tour and being like yeah this is i guess this is kind of the vibe i'm looking for <laughs> versus when you go to a show like that and you're like yeah the shitty pa like the the lack of uh you know proper sitting places like i'm sign me up this is where i want to stay for the rest of my life you know now and and, and the funny thing is, is that i should i should also remark that i went to that that warp tour show pretty amped up well like i had no friends my parents it was my birthday actually my parents or it was two days before my birthday they just dropped me off alone and it was <laughs> and, and they're like happy birthday we're gonna go walk around it was in western mass at the time and um but on the drive there, I remember thinking, like, I am destined for this this punk world because, I mean, this is I look back and I guess it's like pretty terrible. But like, um, uh, JFK Jr. Uh, died in in the plane crash, and I remember I remember it coming on the radio, and I remember just like in a very you know thirteen year old like headspace thinking, well, if I'm going because I was going to work, this is my first punk punk experience <laughs> and i'm like well if i'm going to my first punk experience on the day that a kennedy is it dies then well it's all just written in stone for me and uh yeah so i ended yeah. up having a, a pretty bad time because i might have <laughs> might have had too too high expectations uh but yeah the, the the show i ended up going to was the antithesis of the you know population it was it was it was packed but uh there were i had friends i had like some local friends from the the, the skate park who i went with and i and i saw other people who clearly knew each other and and had like you know like friendships and uh and i remember the it was it, there was a real diversity of uh, of sound at the show um the first band was this band called beyond authority and they just uh they had like a pretty straightforward kind of you know, 80s punk sound and then the band after them sounded like sam i am they were called uh before i break and um and the band that uh well you know gray area headlined oh, yeah, yeah yeah and uh that was a big deal and i didn't i didn't know why at the time but you know they were like oh members of because they were they were fairly new at the time and everyone's like oh it's, it's members of warzone it's gonna be amazing and uh i didn't know who warzone was at the time uh, so I was like, oh, this must be a big deal. But before them was the local band, All Chrome. Um, and uh, they were the local heroes. And uh, you know, like a green light on when they played. And like everybody knew the words. And I was like, who the fuck is All Chrome? Like, they're not on fat records. Like, why do people care about this? And I was <laughs> like, I think I'm, I think I'm missing, missing something here. And, uh, and it was really just, a, I think what I, what I was so, um, what, what struck me was just like, local community uh care like you know supporting itself with no with no real giant limelight involved and that was super appealing to me because i just i don't know it seemed attainable and it seemed like something that i could be involved in in a meaningful way yeah it's funny because i never really thought about this but like you, you do when you look at the warp tour it's almost like a complete inversion and ultimately perversion of like a hardcore fest like the fact that you've got this sort of like all-day event that's just about uh, selling you i guess <laughs> punk and culture and 15 dollar waters and all this kind of stuff versus a fest which is like all day of people just like trying like ultimately you know selling stuff but at the same time also just being so against that and just so 
completely just out of step with that approach to to music yeah yeah i, I remember i i asked there was one one of the bands was um uh, they were they had demos and i was like uh uh how much is this and they were like what do you mean how much it's free <laughs> it's like free yeah. <laughs> uh so and, and i was like wow this is like a real real commune of a place uh so yeah oh. Was your brother kind of already out of this stuff or has he kind of moved on to different things by this point? It's a good question. So he, I mean, he, you know, I guess like maybe he's kind of reflective of like your typical, like kind of college indie rock scene that I like kind of sort of at the time looked to that, like, like the punk and hardcore scene is kind of like, I don't know, passe sort mm -hmm. of. I that was that was like my general vibe. And I remember older guys in the scene as I became more acculturated and more involved, just being like, I think that these guys would be these people would be friends with my brother <laughs> because, <laughs> because they were like like rolling their eyes at like the concept of moshing. And so my 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 brother like never really I think he he didn't really he went in more towards like kind of the art house like like take on on punk and um so like but i guess at this point he just he just kind of kept doing his own thing and and it was only until like years later where he was like hey you you really got into this punk hardcore stuff that that's really cool and i was like <laughs> well yeah i guess so <laughs> it's uh yeah it's also wild to think of like who else would have been at that warp tour with you in 99 because like you know seven seconds played so i'm sure like oh yeah yeah a lot of like hardcore kids would have also been there too like it would have been i don't know it's just it's wild to think of like where everyone would be a few years later but you're you're also pretty young to be going to those shows at that point too yeah i was eighth grade yeah uh, yeah it was, it was fairly young it's a good experience yeah. was uh, like what band brought you to the warp tour that day like what were the ones that you were like really hoping mm. to see Oh, man, so I was definitely at a, at a crossroads because I was, I had that, um, I had this like, I, I really, I just liked the melodic sound of the, the fat and epitaph bands. Mm -hmm. and, but there was, you know, like, like, I think in knowing, like, like, I remember seeing like someone in no effects, fat Mike, like someone was wearing like a crash shirt. And, you know, I would like see members of bands and like the, you know, the early epitaph bands and uh, like just, you know, wearing shirts, like you know, being like crass or uh, like flux of the pink Indians or something like that. And like, and I would like look into those bands that get their records at words of music. And it would kind of be like for someone who was like, you know, getting like really enjoying heavy petting zoo, which is a, a fairly easy record to understand. Uh, you know, picking up, like trying to like really fully understand the depths of Nagasaki nightmare was like, <laughs> it was like a little difficult for me. And I loved history at the time. So I was like, I'm familiar with the political sort of the historical content, but like, you know, I, I don't fully understand or like, uh, I remember the first time I heard shaped women, I was horrified. Yeah. And I was like, looking at the title of the song is like, what the fuck is this song about? And so like, I was just so young and I didn't understand. Now I teach a lesson on the French gut, like, you know, 
like the, the French response to women who alleged to collaborate with Vichy Nazi France. But like at the time I was like 12 and all I was hearing was Eve Libertine's like, like horrid scream and like very deservedly so horridly screaming considering the topic of the song. But like, you know, I was like 13 and I was like, I don't really understand this. And to me, it sort of felt like, you know, being in like, you know, algebra in algebra class and then like walking across the hall into like a pre-calculus or a calculus class and being like, I don't really understand what's going on in here, but I, (laughs) but I know it's harder. (laughs) So like, and, and, and I also was like, I know that it's kind of possibly more respected than, you know, a song about uh, whatever the opening song on, I don't know why I keep coming back to having heavy petting suit, but it's like, it's about, it's, it was like, against it was like a kind of a sort of mean-spirited song towards the homeless and i remember thinking like or there was like a oh, another homophobic i think homophobic yeah that's the, name of the song yeah <laughs> and, and and it was like just like a silly song and like i remember just being like there's a bit of a juxtaposition here in terms yeah. of what i understand and what i don't understand and what and i could tell that there was a a, a definitely a level of seriousness to this world of like uh, this other air, area of punk music than than the music I was kind of more easily understanding. Um, so I was definitely I remember being bummed that No Effects wasn't playing, and I was I was excited to see uh, Blink One Eight Two, but I knew that Blink One Eight Two had been had repped Seven Seconds a lot, um, and they actually did something really cool. I think remember when they played, they actually said like everyone should go out and see Seven Seconds right now. We wouldn't exist if it wasn't for them. And they played like on the other stage. And I, I went right over and saw seven seconds for the first time and I heard young till I die for the first time. And I remember being like, Oh, this is totally cool. And then, you know, like within weeks I bought old school and, um, you know, walked together, rock together. So, but like, I just, I, I was there really to kind of see the, um, you know, the, the more melodic fat and um, epitaph bands. I remember like less than Jake played and I was like, yeah, right on. I, I'm 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 down down with this band like you know I, I, like I could get I could get with this and yeah and and I just I think Suicide Machines played and but I in the back of my head I, I just kind of knew that there was a, a level of seriousness out there and I was you know I was just maybe it has something to do with my brother's likeness in my brother's very intimidating likeness for you know like Sonic Youth and Swans and his his kind of like subliminal scoffing at like me listening or putting in like a like a lag wagon cd while he's driving me to school or something like that um <laughs> he was never mean-spirited about it but i remember like he definitely was mean when i was listening to like you know the likes of like corn and limp biscuit and i kind of thank him for being mean about that but when like he was he would throw subtle digs at me if i was like listening to like epitaph bands but um and but that was kind of haunting me while I was there because I knew that there was uh, a, a a level of greater seriousness uh, in in another area of this of this world. Yeah, so I I don't think I really appreciated it till you know doing this thing. The effects that older brothers have psychologically on or older siblings have psychologically mm-hmm. on their younger siblings because of their their scoffing at musical tastes and like Steve McDonald from. Uh, Red Cross when he was on he mm-hmm. talks about how he still needs to take a shit 
out of fear every time he goes into a record store because of his brother browbeating him when he was a little kid over what he was buying. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a bigger issue than what I got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it could be worse. <laughs> oh, totally. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, if I didn't uh, reference my sister in in all of this. She, my 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 love for uh, you know indie rock and. Um, and, and that genre of, of music really does stem from her. She went to, she went on like a, uh, a school trip to Paris one summer. And I think it was the summer that like, uh, uh, if you're feeling sinister had just come out and it was like, I remember her telling me it was like posters of that were plastered all over Paris. And she came back completely transformed and just so in on like stuff that like no normal eighth grader should have knowledge of <laughs> Like she just came back, like, you know, just casually, you know, singing the praises of Yola Tango's painful. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I remember she like totally hated what I was into. She, in fact, one of the first half heart songs I ever wrote was like, uh, kind of like in this, in this kind of fuck you like attitude towards my sister, kind of making me feel stupid for liking hardcore so much. <laughs> um, but she, she, you know, I couldn't deny the greatness of, Yola Tango and Bell and Sebastian. And I would, you know, when no one was looking, I would, you know, put over, put away my more raucous sounding music and then, you know, throw on like pavement or arches of loaf. Um, but uh, she definitely plays a role in the evolution of my, my, my musical, my punk music life. And it's only now when you're like removed from it, you see how close all these things were like the dudes from pavement at the Gilman watching opera operation Ivy play, hmm. you know, like it just, it, but yeah, like at the time, these, these walls are so high <laughs> between these genres. <laughs> oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like my sister was like revolted at like the concept of me listening to rancid. It, it would just be, <laughs> she's like, this isn't fucking music. And, and it's so interesting to think that the bands that she's, praising or basically like checking out the pans that i'm i'm praising too. yeah absolutely no it's it's but you know it's i guess it's almost like a facet of the fact that people were buying music back then so you had this sort of like you know i guess like attachment to it like almost like religious fervor for these like mm -hmm. <laughs> these lines between these things that you're like no 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 i'm in this camp and there's no fucking way I could be in that other camp right now. Like it just, you know, like it, it, it very much seems like something that's not as important now to young people. Oh, oh, dude. And I, I actually have a working theory. I might have to digress from the, 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 the story here, oh, totally. but like, but like, I really do. This is, and I, I talk about this with, uh, with, with friends, but these, these walls, I, I'm not blowing smoke here, but I really do think that fucked up served as a, bulldozer like just destroying those walls that, <laughs> of, of of genre and codes and i i just i'm so i'm i'm eternally grateful for it because i i, I never really liked it because i came from this this kind of musically diverse family um i should also say my brother was obsessed with with the likes of like you know wu-tang and nas and just like the early great hip-hop mm -hmm. 90s hip-hop artists but um, and so I, I just, I didn't, I never really liked the, the, 
the codified tribalistic nature of like the whole punk universe. It just didn't seem to really make a whole lot of sense to me. I just, I just kind of liked everything. I didn't like having to hide it, but I really just, th- I, I, in, in my time from 99 to, to now, I think I would love to just sort of really do a careful analysis of like how we're at, at a point where, like you just described, where like I can be in a band like Fiddlehead and people would, you know, be like, oh yeah, we'll go check that out. You know, just consider it, you know, regular part of the punk and hardcore universe. And I, 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 I think that the, 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 the fingerprint on that, that, that evolution is, 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 is the fucked up fingerprint. It was just uh, the total demolition of, of, of those, those, those walls. And I, uh, I, I sing my praises to you. Oh, I, well, I'm very flattered. Thank you very much for saying that. I, I feel like it was almost like we were just part of that era where like it felt like just before that, if you had a person singing on a hardcore record, it was like, what? Like it, it, oh, like yeah. it put in a whole new category. Like, no, no, no. That's like something else like that. You know, like it was just, you know, versus like, you know, a few years later where you could have, you could bring in all these other influences. It felt like things were very rigidly defined at 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 like the towards the late 90s into the early 2000s totally i wonder i mean ha, i mean the internet just is, is definitely the big underlying causal factor there but uh yeah no, nonetheless though like uh yeah i i definitely spent my early era and time in the the punk music world kind of looking for my my camp and so like once i you know once i kind of continued on to like the the local hardcore punk scene i i definitely found like the the likes of like the youth crew scene like super appealing because i think a lot of a a lot of like 14 or 15 year old straight edge kids might find it appealing Mm -hmm. um but that was where i that's where i very quickly head off to next because that was kind of you know this is so it's it's 99 going 2000 and you have the the rebirth of of the quote-unquote rebirth of hardcore uh, in the late nineties youth crew revival happening, but like, it's, it's definitely kind of dead by like 2000, 2001 as like the likes of American nightmare is like blatantly destroying that, that era. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like almost like explicitly just like destroying. And then you have, I remember being kind of like, kind of bummed that I missed 96 to 97 with, you know, you know, like the, the era of like floor punch. And, you know, I, I, I felt like I just missed something like super special, um, especially in being in, in the Boston scene where that was like just heavy and constantly in your face. And all those bands were more or less broken up. I, 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 I missed the last 10 yard fight show. Cause I didn't really fully know it by that point. So that's like only a couple months after my first show. And then uh, I had to choose the following year. I had to choose between going to see seven seconds or um, the last in my eyes show. And I went with seven seconds, um, but um, I had to choose cause I got grounded for something <laughs> stupid. Uh, but uh, whatever it was like, I was, I, I was definitely after like this, like uh, this, this youth crew era or the youth crew revival era. And I was totally romanticizing like stories of it. And I had this, probably overblown impression as to what that that was actually like because when you look at the videos there's actually not that many people at a lot of those shows but in my mind there was like a million yeah like it photographed really well 
that era and like there's certain shows that I guess, you know, were, were wild when you, but like, it was also so short when you think back on it now, but I remember at the time it felt, yeah, it felt like all consuming, but then by 2000, it was like, you're saying it was over. And then American nightmare. I never really thought of it, but like their like initial kind of push was almost like they were like the anti youth crew band. Like it was like neggy hardcore as opposed to posi hardcore. Yeah, and that was like that was like a popular slogan at the time, like yeah. negative hardcore. But you know the, the the funny thing is, is that um, what's uh, Tim Coster was like. I remember people kind of making a big deal out of American Nightmare because they were like, "Well, it's got a it's got a member of Ten Yard fighting it," and so it was like, but the the artwork just more or less kind of had like a blatant fuck you to the idea of like just redoing like, you know, hardcore pride. And, um, but yeah, that, that really kind of, I remember, I remember experiencing that era of like this, you know, the kind of the, the, <laughs> I don't want to say overblown, but it, it seemed like pretty dramatic. Wes's lyrics. I, I, I wasn't looking for, uh, like uh, what, what he was writing at the time. I, I blatantly was looking for something like what, whatever Ray Kappa was singing about in better than a thousand. I was looking for like really super positive, like, you know, like have some self-worth type of talk. Uh, and I, I remember getting the AN uh, record and being like, I just, I don't know if I'm all that bummed out about my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> like, uh, so that was, that was a little bit of letdown. And I kind of, I tried to like, I guess, revive the youth crew revival in my own way with like some of like the first bands I was trying to do, um, which kind of sort of failed, uh, you know, but I just, uh, I just, I remember having an overly romanticized understanding of what the late, the, like the youth crew revival was. Um, and I, like, I meant to ask you, you you have a follow through varsity jacket, right? I did. Oh, I you gave, did. I, I did. I like when I sold out. Um, I gave it to DFJ as sort mm. of a penance. He had given me, you know, <laughs> tons of records over the years, like you know, like all sorts of wild, you know, Mind Eraser stuff and other bands mm. he was in. In you know, like Test Press and all this sort of thing. And when I broke straight edge, he hit me up and he's like, yo, would you sell me that jacket? And I felt, <laughs> I, I felt like I couldn't sell it. And I had also taxed a friend of mine when he broke straight edge and took his X watch. So I felt like I, I had to pay a penance of some sort. Yeah. And I felt DFJ should have that jacket as my penance. Okay. So he has it now. I, he has I, remember, it. I remember reading an interview with Craig Mack and, uh, and, and he, I didn't, I was just, I've always been meaning to ask you, like the yeah. way he, he described it was like, He's like, oh yeah, the the singer a fuck a fucked up uh, messaged me or like I, I don't I don't remember what it was, but it seemed <laughs> it's it's I it seemed like there wasn't like like a like a communic like a clear communication between the two of you. No, and I was just, like, it was it was, was it like an impersonal exchange? Yeah, it was my wife bought it off him on eBay. Oh, okay. He, he put right. up his jacket on eBay, and uh, I like follow throughs a band like I have. I have a ridiculous follow through collection. Like I have, that, I have, that's insane. That is for someone who, who absolutely 
worshipped the youth crew revival scene. Even I think follow through sucks, and I I think I think Craig Mack is is one of the best dudes uh, that I, I've I've encountered uh, in, in my time in hardcore. And and I I just they they didn't have the hits, but no, I, I respect your your appreciation. I I think that's why. You know, like it was almost uh-huh. like a, a band that was kind of like impossible to like in a lot of ways. <laughs> and because of that, I, I loved them. And also like where they sit in that scene. Like I'm, I'm, you know, once again, like a fat, I, I'm obsessed with this kind of like revival mm-hmm. and transition and the effects of the right brigade demo and oh yeah, the, the ramifications to Toronto hardcore and. Oh dude, the right brigade demo changed it all. It changed it all. Like that's a huge one, but I think follow through as sort of like a weird precursor almost mm. temporally to a lot of this stuff. And then also part of it, but then, yeah, I'm just, I'm very interested in the way this whole time and, and this whole place develops because it, it, it was very much a uh, hugely influential place on me. Like they, in my eyes show when they played Toronto, that was without that show happening in Toronto. I don't know where the scene would have gone. Oh, really? So it was, a, it was a big deal. You know, a lot of the Boston people like in, in the Boston scene, the Boston kids or whatever, I think a lot of them are from Connecticut mm-hmm. uh, um, or originally from. And, and that, you know, interest, quick, interesting take on being like from the New Bedford scene as opposed to the, the, the quote unquote Boston scene was that like the like the transplant nature of like the, the people in the Boston scene was like, a like it, at least in, in my understanding was like a real source of contention between the new bed, new, new Bedfordites and, and the Boston scene just sort of like there, there was for a period and, and, and it definitely went away, but I remember there being some pretty kind of explicit, almost blatant opposition towards like the, the popular Boston hardcore scene in the late nineties, early two thousands. And if you look to like some, some of the silly lyrics from X files X and some of their early demos, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, I think what is one of the songs, uh, take, take off your varsity jacket and like kill yourself or something like that. Or what, it's, it's <laughs> whatever it was like, you know, I remember one of the lyrics was Brandon wrote something like it was in response to like fast break breaking edge. And it was like, uh, I was on like, the name of the song is like you break your edge we break your face or something yeah i remember that's that is the name of that song i definitely like i lived and died by those songs and i think that that actually kind of like that influenced me to kind of have a a a a less intense take on on straight edge for sure but uh yeah and and and, but man yeah yeah so so it was a person a fairly impersonal exchange with the follow-through jacket so i i now now i know okay but so you 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 were a big follow-through fan i was just a fan (laughs) of that era like all those bands like like especially in toronto those people were almost deified by the no warning kids like jesse stanhard like uh you know i Mm -hmm. well i finally met him i guess when i guess fast break played up here um he was with them and but like prior to that he was just like this sort of like legend that those guys would talk about so like <laughs> you know all these bands like like uh fast break and and yeah like all of it was just so uh, just so influential on mm-hmm. on this scene and so follow through was just 
one of the bands I latched on. I got this thing where I just like latch on to a band and there's there's something interesting about it. Like I just yeah. kind of like become obsessed with it. And then with follow through, it almost became like, you know, people would you know like uh, I remember Cooch and Chris Corey getting all Jesse Stanhart stuff, and they're like, "Hey, we've got the original artwork for the test press sleeve of the LP." <laughs> And I'm like, oh, shit. And they just gave it to me or, you know, and then someone would give me, you know, the test press of the LP. Like, it just felt like it was all just coming to me very naturally. So <laughs> I actually have Cooch for my wedding made a set of the Stanhard Records follow through seven inch with all different fucked up sleeves. Oh, wow. For oh, it. So, <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's, that's a, pre- cool. a pretty good gift. I, I held on to all of them. I don't know what I'm going to ever do with 12 different copies of this <laughs> follow through. I, seven I, inch. I, I don't think you're going to be able to do too much with them. No, uh, but no. their, their aesthetic was great. And I, it, it, it was, it was, it was that whole, that's to me, that was like, like what I like was like yearning for so bad to have this kind of like, you know, collegial athletic but not a jock look yeah, yeah. and I, that was just something that was so appealing to me well um, and and yeah. also they were like like you know craig mack was one of the first people that was kind of off the positivity train you oh, know yeah. when when fall through's done uh, what's the next band called i'm just blanking on the name right now is it some of all fears no yes no no before some the one that was like maybe it was after some of all fears the one that was all like post-apocalyptic oh living um living hell uh, no, Is before living hell, like the before. one where he had that the world was going to end on, I forget what day of the year. Um, and it was like total, they were like the original Integ worship band. And they were like doing kind of like integrity inspired hardcore. I can't remember what they were called, but there was dead, there was dead wrong from Connecticut. Uh, it was very short lived fear tomorrow. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Fear tomorrow. Yeah. 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 I never, I, you know, I never really, I never really dived dove into that i think it might have just been and they were short-lived very short-lived because the world was going to end the whole <laughs> thing was the world was gonna, the world was supposed <laughs> to end that next year and i was rooting for the swarm and they played with the swarm at that show and i was i was super into that band very mm. very much but born in blood that is a classic seven inch i'm gonna i'm gonna have to listen to that later on but the world did not end so we, we can continue on. They did a split with Integrity too. Integrity two thousand. They did. Yeah, yeah. and I had they, no idea of this, but uh, follow through also put out a record on TPOS Records, which was Malcolm Tent, um, his record store up in uh, Trash American Style. Okay. Yeah, and it, they put out like Gigi Allen records and Sonic Youth records and all sorts of weird stuff, wow. but also follow through. <laughs> I'm so glad that this podcast has a, a special 10, 15 minute uh, discussion on follow through. <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about. Like this is, this is what I live in. I breathe for. It's just, I feel like every episode is just a chance for me to study something that I by no right should be studying. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> yeah. So where did you kind of go you know, once you, you know, from this new bed, that first show, that all Chrome gray area show, like what were some of the, the next moves you made into getting into the scene? Uh, yeah, uh, I just, I just, you know, I, I actually kind of quickly started booking shows. There was this, um, this, this guy named Ed, uh, who was, I, I don't know what happened to him. 
Ed is gone. I don't know. I don't know what he's big. Ed is what they called him. Anyway, I, uh, he like, I remember, you know, what's interesting. I got that. There was that video. It was a victory records, uh, video release do you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah it had like the integrity video with like smart bomb footage on it and like hi-fi and the road burners were maybe on it too and one of those ones it's like it's like one of those cheapo well not cheap they were like 20 some odd dollars i think up here but like it, video compilation type thing well it wasn't it was a it was an interesting documentary and i think victory put it out or it, it i mean like you know it was a wide range uh that band squirt gun okay yeah. yeah yeah they were they were in it um whoa weird what is this like early early blink 182 was in it hate breeds in it battery uh sick of it all isn't it uh <laughs> um and it's a it it's you know, who else is it? like just you name it like i think dead guy is in it um <laughs> yuppie, yuppie side it's just this wild concoction of like i think like 97 98 and there's this one segment where this this girl reviews how to book a show and like what to do and i and i like between ed telling me to like who to call at reflections the venue were in new bedford and watching this i was like oh that's what i do and so i i kind of very quickly i, I guess i got to know people which is a shame that you don't really see too many flyers anymore um but like i just got to know people from being like the kid who was you know passing out flyers and and booking shows and i remember uh you know, I, I booked this band called uh, um, Victim 21 and uh, a, poor, a Poor Excuse. I don't know if you remember them. Mike McCarthy from, from Boston was. Yeah, they, they do as a wrestler, too. Right? Yeah. Poor yeah, Excuse. Yeah. And they did the split with uh, Riper Gate. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. But but he was he was super cool. I was like 14 or something like that. And I went to this show that they played in Providence and literally zero. Like, I think it was like me that showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him <laughs> and I asked him like, Hey, would you be willing to play a show that I want to book? And he was like, yeah, I don't think we're really going to bring a whole lot of people, but I was like, we'll do it. We'll do it. And so I, I booked them and uh, I just started booking a lot of shows. And then um, I, uh, I started my, uh, my, my first band uh, with uh, just like some friends from, from high school. We were, uh, it was after, uh, not necessarily after a, a seven seconds song, but a, a line. What, whatever the song where Kevin's like, actions being taken because of this, you fucked with us and now we're really pissed or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but that sounds vaguely familiar. I, what, whatever song that is, I, I, I was like, actions being taken, the action taken. And so that was that was the first band I started, um, and uh, that 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 was kind of like my first rule getting my my feet wet into actually playing music and i think from that point i don't think since then well since really the pandemic like a month has gone by where i haven't played a show um i've i've almost play, i've played a show at least once a month since i was about 14 or 15 which is i don't really think about too often but kind of interesting to think about wow that's wild <laughs> uh but yeah uh so i that was like uh I think if you were to listen to it now, which it, it, it's fairly available. Um, well, I actually, I joined that band and then I immediately quit. And then, and, it, and then I joined up again and it was a problem because my best friend, Ryan, well, so I quit and I joined this band called Dangerfield. 
Okay. Which, which was the first piece of recorded music that I ever did. Uh, my friend Ben Hunsdorfer from around, like he was, he was really into conflict and I was still kind of like at this point, like bouncing between like punk and kind of straightforward hardcore. And he was like super into conflict and oi polloi and he, their drummer was like really good. And they just had like a band and all I had to do was step up and, and sing. Mm-hmm. So I ended up leaving the action taken and joining that band because I didn't think the action taken could really do anything. But that band ended up it kind of just sort of faltering a little bit. And I then I started to kind of like the more youth crew stuff. And, and I think Ben was looking for me to write more like kind of like political oriented lyrics. And I was more take more smitten by you know a song like betray yeah (laughs) like and i was like yeah it's what i can kind of relate to sadly at this age of 15 um (laughs) you just my friends being dicks and like hold your ground was like super appealing to me but anyway i i just uh i i i so i left dangerfield and i went back to action taken because my best friend ryan i had introduced him to all the guys in the action taken and he literally didn't know any of them and I told him that I was going to be at the practice that I would introduce him at. And I ended up for some reason, ended up leaving like immediately. So he just like came to that practice and I was like, Hey, four people who don't know Ryan, who's going to be the singer of your band. This is Ryan. See you later. <laughs> and, and, and it went really well. And I think the thing that bummed me out the most is that uh, like they looked like they were having fun a few, like a few months later, I remember they, they played a show and they put out their demo that Ryan sang on and, you know, Ryan was singing about things, you know, again, more in the line of like something like betray and hold your ground. And I was like, that's awesome. I can relate to that. So that really made me kind of fall out of love with this kind of oi polloi conflict style band. And uh, I, I left and, but Ryan would come to all of our practices and Ryan was just like, you should try and just join the band and we'll have two singers. And the only reason why, we could get away in the new Bedford scene with having two singers, which I feel like at this point is kind of like, you know, a war crime. Uh, (laughs) um, But like it was because there was a local band of kind of like older veterans, like members of uh, uh, intent to injure. Uh, They they had this band called uh, civil defense where they had two singers and they were, their shows were like few and far between, but when they play, it was always like a big fucking deal in new Bedford and, like uh, older guys who were like, you know, in the trust and, and down but not out would come out. And it was always like a big deal when civil defense would play, at least as I remember it. But they had two singers. And so that kind of gave us the green light to be a band with two singers. Uh, so that got the action taken going uh, for for about a two years or so, I'd say. You were doing that band. There was like a hot period where it was okay to have two singers. I know what you're saying, like, unless crust, crust was always like a thing where it was like you'd have like the oh, 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 and then like, yeah, 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 yeah. that was acceptable. <laughs> yeah, but, there was that band Blind Society. Yeah, Blind yeah. Society had two singers. There's like <laughs> mm-hmm. the pre Atari band, I think. Had two really, singers. I think I, I've got some seven inch. One of the members of the band also has a ponytail, so they are doing like a lot of '90s, <laughs> slightly acceptable things for a hot moment. Uh, in that, I'm trying to remember what it's called though. I I, I got to dig it out. But if you I want to talk definitely... about like you know my follow through would be Atari. I uh, a band an underloved band 
that I worshipped. Yes. And maybe even to this day, I, I looked, I went back to listen to Too Tired to Drive Home and I was like, this record still fucking hits. Uh, well, but I remember one time <laughs> I was wearing an Atari shirt and at a show and someone posted pictures of it and um, Alex Russ and Cold World texted me and was like, you know, when you wear an Atari shirt, people will see you wearing an Atari <laughs> shirt. <laughs> and uh, I, I, but uh, they were a huge influence on, oh, huge. Uh, on uh, the, uh, for, for, for me, for on the action taken, we actually covered Atari in like 2001, only like a couple of years after they broke up, I think. That's uh, a, they were huge, like so super, super important to us here in Toronto. Like they, really? uh, yeah, like that. Well, cause they had the, was it Jejun? There's Jazz June, right? Like dudes uh-huh. from Jazz June. Yeah. Uh, so when they played Toronto, it was just all like youth crew kids in the front yelling out Atari songs at them. And they did a couple fake outs <laughs> where they would play like Atari songs into Jazz June songs. Uh, and they, I think it's a skate tough seven inch, or mm-hmm. maybe it's too tired to drive home that they did a limited edition Canadian tour pressing that was like Bitcoin up here. Like that thing became <laughs> wow. the most valuable record. <laughs> And that, and I was away when they played that show, so I didn't get a copy of this thing. Damn! But it was, yeah. I think very, I might have that. The Canadian pressing? It's possible. Oh I, man! I, I, I have like, I probably, I'm not. I'm actually currently at my house is being deleted, and I'm staying at uh, my friend Sam's house. But I'll have to check in on that because I have like an excessive amount of Datari sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that first uh, will be fighting seven inch. I think that's one of the best teamwork records. I, I i i would that's a that that's a bit of a claim there there's some good teamwork records. there is a lot also there's also a lot of stinkers on teamwork so you th- know. that is that is also true <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> society's running on empty i recently went back and and, and listened to that 97a record and it's i think it's just fucking great dude a hundred you're the only person i've ever been able to talk about this with but on time again when the other vocalist comes in it's like one of my favorite moments ever in music oh i know exactly what you're fucking talking about man dude there's chills the opening of that record you think you don't know oh my god that that, that's a fucking great record that's an Uh, amazing record i love that thing when it came out and it was like not cool to like them when that record came out either Really? Why is that? Uh, they had put out that seven inch beforehand that had the American flag on the cover. And oh. I remember Max Rock and Roll took him to task. I think it was Max <laughs> Rock and Roll that had like a big negative review of it. And it hmm. was just like, like you were saying when you're buying the Ignite record and the dude's like, don't buy that, buy this. You know, it was totally that situation <laughs> where I'm like buying it at the CD store. It's like, why are you buying this thing? I'm like, I don't know. They're fast. I like them. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, 97 quick digression but 97 a was i i think is a sweet kind of a fascinating band uh, uh a band with an overtly youth crew aesthetic with a pretty actually kind of coherent complex take on on pol- american politics very much so like a band <laughs> that i think now would be probably looked at a lot more kindly than they were in the heyday of the 90s yeah, I see. I, I yeah, I sort of missed all of that. So I'm I'm always fascinated by like, I'm always eager to get my my mythology destroyed uh, because I have such rom- over romanticized takes on the on the the late the mid to late 90s because I missed it and I like just mythologized it. 
Yeah, no, I, and I, even living through it, like, you know, because communication was the way it was, like, it's all oral history and oral legends mm-hmm. that have been twisted by time in my mind. So mm-hmm. I'm probably half remembering all this stuff, but I, that's why, you know, I, I'm just obsessed with diving into these things because they're, like you were saying, there was no magazines that were covering this stuff when it happens. Like, it's just fanzines and a lot of these fanzines they'd be like 25 copies and then they're they're gone forever so yeah a lot of it's like an archaeological dig to find out the, the, the lost secrets yeah. of the abandoned future ep <laughs> a, a worthy dissertation just waiting to happen <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> i'm just waiting for the world to catch up you know like you're much more in academia than myself let me know when there's going to be a time when there's going to be dissertations written about the breakaway bootlegs <laughs> you know, they're actually on that topic. I don't know the name of it, but there was a book that I saw that was, um, it's written, it's a, it's a recent, recently created, I think this year, if not last year, uh, and like a, a, an archive based historical study of, of punk, I think in the early eighties, but it's, it's, it's like explicitly, um, not using oral means of oral history to get its point across. And I was like, wow, oh. that, that I might, I might buy that. But I also like admittedly as someone who teaches history, loves history, if like almost more than I love hardcore, I was like, at the same time, I was like, that might be a really boring way to learn about the <laughs> <Yeah>. past <laughs> of hardcore. Well, like, like you're saying, you know, like until you talk to people that were in these places, like you don't really understand the nuance of some of this stuff until you like, you know, like my understanding of the germs now from talking to people and then rereading like all the books that are written about the germs are completely different than it was from just being a fan of the music. Just like seeing how, uh, like, you know, the people that hated them, like why they hated them and be like, Oh yeah, that's an interesting take on it. And then the people that loved them and the people that had, you know, positive interactions, negative interactions. Like it's just, there's just so much that goes into truly understanding, I guess, anything from the perspective of the people that actually would have lived through it mm-hmm. yeah it'd be interesting to see what they're saying about people like us in 60 years or so well it's funny because like i think and i wanted to get to this with you and i've kept you for a long time and obviously anytime you want to come back pat please know you you're yeah welcome. yeah for sure but uh you know like you kind of manifest the hardcore that you're looking for in a lot of ways like have heart you know, like a lot of the the rub on a lot of the posy stuff was that it wasn't ultimately posy in the end of the day, and I really think that have hearts like truly, you know, it's like the the positive hardcore that actually is positive. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that was right. I, I, I'm I'm glad that that can that can be interpreted that way because we, yeah, like I guess it sort of had like a vibe of of positivity but you look at the lyrics and then you know it wasn't it, it wasn't kind of like I, I was happy to you know have avoided writing the stuff that i really liked in the late 90s like there were it was kind of cheesy i i kind of knew if it's short lifespan so i just you know lyrically kind of wanted to dive into a perhaps slightly more like personal approach to it that that actually kind of had some more darker themes to it, but ultimately had this like thesis of uh, hopefulness, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely was like, I think that there was for a while there, like, because when the band started, we uh, 
you know, like I really was trying to recreate the, like the better than a thousand seven inch in, in many respects. Uh, and, and it just went wildly off the rails. Uh, um, uh, but a lot of that has to do with other members joining and stuff like that. But uh, I do remember though, when we, when we wrote our first record, we had, we had betrayed the Connecticut youth crew scene, um, which, you know, we, we can, we, we can link it back to follow through and, and just the interesting culture of Connecticut, the history of Connecticut youth crew. But like, we, that's where, when, when Havard really first got going, we found our first home in Connecticut because there was still this, um, you know, this, this through line from, you know, YOT to wide awake and upfront and, uh, you know, what is it? Oh, was aware from Connecticut? I think so. Yeah. Where's from Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. All, all these, these like, I think they also a- did something on trash American style too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone make note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, and then, so you have, it, you know, kind of re popping up in the, in the late nineties and, you know, there were like that, that vibe was still there. So like we had, like a home there was like i think in 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 reality there was like 20 people who liked us in connecticut maybe maybe 10 to be perfectly honest but they liked us for uh, you know like our demo sound which was pretty pretty straightforward youth crew kind of obviously you know traditionally positive stuff and and then when we kind of started changing our sound changing the kind of the lyrical orientation a little bit I remember getting some like real deal hate being like, you just, so I remember someone be like, you lost the plot. <laughs> it's like, Oh man, <laughs> what are we going to do without these 10 people from Connecticut? Uh, luckily there were, there were more people from Connecticut uh, that cared, but uh, yeah. Uh, they, I, I really do appreciate you having me on. It's, it's great to talk, uh, you know, just to nerd out on some uh, obscure Connecticut history. No, it's, it was, it's also, I just think, you know, like, like you're saying there, it's, it's amazing when you can kind of build your own reality with oh yeah, yeah the punk that you're making. Like, you know, like the whole thing about searching for, for your type of punk and then ultimately being able to kind of like build what you were looking for. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Totally. And, and you know, as I was saying, like, that's definitely I, the, out of the consequence of uh, the result of, you know, like, you know, figures like you, you know, you know, not really sticking to, you know, codes and traditions, but yeah, like I, I, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, just kind of have really generated the thing that, you know, I enjoyed at the time and may not have approved certain, certain elder statesmen, but uh, ultimately I I was always pretty satisfied and, and, you know, I've always kind of continued to try and, try and do that it's 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 paid off to just do what it do what i think feels right also you brought up intent to injure and i can't let that go that's like one of the most underrated bands of all time that first keep us strong seven inches oh dude godly yeah man i first off the calling a record keep us strong is pretty fucking hard i almost i've always like thought about should i should i start a band and just call it keep us strong you know like uh but yeah, uh, my, oh, my that's kind of cool. That's a really cool name for a band. Keep us, it, it's hard. I, I don't know. It, it, if, I, if I do one more band, it will be called Keep Us Strong. Uh, but I, interestingly enough, I discovered Intent to Injure because someone, one of my, so my, my father retired, became a, 
uh, a Latin and uh, English teacher, a high school teacher. And I remember looking in the yearbook and uh, someone, like one student of his wrote in their yearbook thing, like, you know, like the memory section, it was like, um, it was like moshing to intend to injure at reflections. And I was like, I was like, what is intent to injure? I, Cause I was slightly familiar with reflections. And then that, that kind of opened up a, a likeness for one of the most uh, like least talked about bands in, in, in the history of hardcore, but you know, deserve deserving of greater attention. Yeah. Because they link so many weird worlds like overkill records was Ron from brotherhood's label that put out like the early integrity stuff. Oh yeah. And, huh. and, then, and then they're on nemesis records out of LA or yep. California. Right. And nemesis obviously has that incredible storied history. And then they're weirdly on striving for togetherness records, which is, which is <laughs> very bizarre, which is run by Kevin Gill, who uh, is uh -huh. the voice of uh, insane clown posse in the juggalo nation. That's right. That I was gonna. I was like, "What is? Why do I know striving for togetherness?" Yeah, and it's got ICP links. Oh, it's shit. got yeah, and they also put. I think they. Oh yeah, they did. They put out the civil defense CD. I guess eventually. Yep, 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 yep. I'm actually. I think if you, I'm. It's like if you take the CD out, I think that you can see me in the crowd. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> <laughs> like but you know, on the, on the little clear tray, you can see me there. So that's my that's my big claim to fame. I'd say. Yeah, you you didn't care about the fact they had two singers. You were totally in the two singer thing. Hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Pat, this has been awesome, man. And anytime you want to come back on, please know the door is always open. Oh, absolutely. Just uh, just to talk about talk about the core is a great time. Thank you, Pat, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Pat's got to come back for part two because we we didn't even get to have heart. We, we didn't really get very far. But once again, check out Fiddlehead. And uh, definitely check out Have Heart if you've not checked it out Have Heart before. And check out some of that footage from that reunion show. It is some uh, it is ridiculous and, and some incredible photos, too, from that thing. And anyway, coming up later on this week on the show, another beloved person. I was going to say probably one of the most universally beloved people from the greater Southern Ontario punk rock scene. David Bach will be here from Sum 41, from Brown Brigade, from uh, 747, from uh, Black Cat Attack, and from Organ Thieves. And this is one of the best episodes ever. If you are from Southern Ontario, if you grew up in Southern Ontario in the 90s, we go so deep on this episode. But don't worry if you're not from Southern Ontario in the early 90s. Dave has got some incredible stories. One of the one of the funniest guys. This is this is a really fun episode. Can't wait for you to hear it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids, and we need to help trans people protect themselves. And we just need to stand up to fascism wherever it's happening, all over the world. Look at things that are going on in this world. Get informed. Look at causes. Show up at protests if if you can. Donate money to organizations you believe in if you can. Just just look at what's going on, you know? And if something looks shitty, it probably is really fucking shitty, you know? And I think everyone can kind of look at what's happening in this world and, and see, you know? I, I, I really do think if you look and you honestly ask yourself hard questions, you can see what's right and wrong in this world right now. Um, anyway. Uh, also, uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for the organs, you don't need them. 
you just like, I don't need this shit anymore. Just get it out of me, you know, and then you can help someone else go out there and make your own culture, do something creative. It can just, uh, you know, it can help your mental health, you know, while you're still alive, you know, this, this is a good way to, to help, you know, and you don't have to share with anyone, just do it for yourself, you know, start a podcast. This is the easiest thing in the world to do. Just, just do it. Just do something. Um, is it being doing something to meditate? Maybe it works for you. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not, I'm not pushing it on you. Work for me, but you know, or work ish for me if I can remember to do it, but you know, maybe it worked for you. <sighs> and, uh, I think the thing that's it, um, uh, stay safe, get your vaccine, wear a mask. If you know, still, and this thing's still spreading. I know people are still getting this shit, so stay safe. And, uh, I will see you on the next episode. I love you. Thanks for listening.